0: Hello, hello, lovely people. How are you? Oh, it's so lovely to be back with series two. I've missed you. Can I say that? I think I can. Well, anyway, I just have. And my goodness, what a person today I have for you. Nick Hounsfield started off as an osteopath and ran the very successful family practice with his wife, Juliana, in Bristol. Now, for many, you might say, well, he'd done his bit. But a life-changing event and a eureka moment gave Nick the idea for his next chapter. Now, he had a vision of building a surfing lake in Bristol. It would be the first of its kind in the world. And he did it! He thought it would cost a couple of million pounds and take two years, but it cost 26 million and a bit more and took 10 years. So how did he do it and how did he keep going? It's just as well he did, though, because people have travelled from all over the globe to catch the waves and now he's taken his vision across the UK and abroad. Nick talks honestly about how he made his decisions, what it was really like when his vision became a reality, and how more life events nearly put everything at risk. He's an eternal optimist, and I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak to many inspiring people who have already started their next chapter in the hope it might be able to help you start yours. Or at the very least, you may just enjoy the conversation. So, here he is, Nick Hounsfield. Nick Hounsfield, welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker.
1: No, oh, it's great to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, no, thank you. Right. I'm going to just get straight into this because we've got a lot to cover. So, I start as ever with the prologue. So this is where it all began for you. And mm-hmm. as I understand you went to boarding school, is that right?
1: I did go to boarding school. Yep. Yeah. Um I don't quite know why I went to boarding school because um so I went I I, I was um uh, grew up in in Epsom. I was born in Epsom in Surrey. Uh and my um weirdly my dad my dad's work was right opposite where I was boarding so um I probably could have been a day day boarder or something like that but yeah I was there uh, at Epsom College for yeah for most of my childhood yeah
0: okay and because your dad but obviously we're going to go into this he was an osteopath
1: yeah he was an osteopath yeah okay
0: maybe he just didn't like all the mess that these these boys create that I know yeah
1: maybe and you know about as well (laughs) and you
0: and you got two sisters
1: two sisters yeah older sister and younger sister yeah.
0: okay so what were you like at boarding school what 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 kind of pupil were you
1: um well I would say bef- even before boarding school I was probably quite disruptive <laughs>
0: <laughs> that might explain <laughs> something Nick.
1: yeah which which yeah which I now see as a quality rather than a, than than something bad um I think I, I started. I started school probably quite young. Um, I was because I was a September baby. I went to went to school probably a year too early, and I just didn't care about work at all. Uh, it was more about wanting to play. Uh, just uh, yeah, it was all about play, all about sport. The things that I always uh, look forward to at uh, at school was um, playtime and and school sports and stuff like that. So. Uh, wasn't, was, I wasn't. I we, I also much later found out that I I was quite dyslexic. I I found out that I was dyslexic probably about eight years ago, wow. six years ago. Wow! Um, when when two of my kids are dyslexic, uh, and we 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 got them checked and got them assessed, and I was finding the assessments even harder than them. Oh no,
0: my goodness! And
1: this really explains a whole load of. whole load of stuff so um so yeah really loved my art really loved my music really loved um my sports um couldn't stand maths quite good at sort of imaginative writing and stuff like that and loved geography and biology um so yeah
0: so did you enjoy it did you enjoy school
1: no not really uh i i started to enjoy it um and this sounds weird, but, but when, 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 uh, so it was a boys, boys boarding school, but at the sixth form we had girls, girls arrived. And it's not because, um, uh, suddenly there were lots of girls to ogle after. It was just, um, looking back because I've got two sisters, I'm actually much more at home talking to women than, uh, than I am at men quite a lot. Um, so, you know, most of my dearest Friends are females. Um, I've got some you know, good male friends as well, but um, yeah, I've always been I've always been very comfortable in that surround in in that those surroundings. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly like real alpha male characters, and uh, and boarding school was full of them. Uh, masters as well, as, you know, teachers as well as uh, pupils, and that's something that I realised going back that I struggled with.
0: Yeah, no, I can understand that. And especially because obviously, as we're going to go on, you're from such a close family and family values are such a big thing for you as well. So I can totally, totally understand. And did you, as you left, as you were starting to leave school, did you have any idea what you wanted to do? Did you know you wanted to be an osteopath as well then?
1: Not particularly. Um, I mean, I knew the things that I really loved. Um, Fundamentally, I always, always wanted to just help people. I didn't know how I wanted to help people, but I knew I wanted to help people um, and I remember we had some careers advisors. We had to sort of fill out some questionnaires and stuff like that. And, and then they come, come back with four or five suggestions of areas that you might want to look at, um, for the future. And that might help you guide with, um, guide you with some A-level choices and stuff like that. And, um, I can't remember all of them. I, I've actually got, I've got a copy of them at home somewhere, but, but one of the questions one of the, uh, suggestions was, being a physiotherapist um, and I was like, well that's kind of weird uh, um, uh, although myself and my dad were very 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 similar characters in many ways, and so I said, well actually if I was going to be a physiotherapist why wouldn't I not be why, why would I not be an osteopath and that started to sort of um, go through my head and start to go actually yeah i I really Quite like treating people and helping people, and I'm good with my hands. Yeah, you know, uh, and and that's then I sort of then fell into it really. Mm. Um, uh, actually, my ex, you know, one of my ex-girlfriends' mother said, "I uh, in fact I, I remember she had a really really bad migraine headache one day. She was supposed to be going out for dinner, and so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to um, cancel it." Um, and my dad always taught me how to treat himself um so whenever my dad had any injuries um you know he he told me how to look after it you know if he had a bad neck or a bad hair headache or something um and so he taught me how to do that to him and I said "Oh, I'll um do you want me to just quickly treat your neck and see if I can help and it really helped her. And she's like, oh, my goodness, you definitely should be an osteopath. It's like you've, you've got such a gift for it. You should just do it. And that would, that's, I think, really sort of sowed that seed of thought.
0: Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Because And all of that, you can't... I know the Careers Service said that at school, but we talk about this a lot, that the academic life doesn't always fit everyone. So just because you didn't particularly have a subject, you liked your outdoors, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily tell you... Your schooling doesn't tell you exactly what you're going to do, does it? It, It's not there... It doesn't serve everyone.
1: No, definitely not. uh, Definitely not. And, you know, I've looked at, and particularly with our own kids, looked at different sort of uh, systems of education and... You know, really, it's for me. It's much more about making sure that you enjoy your educational journey and trying to keep the most diverse range of of skills in your toolbox. Uh, you know, I, I you know I do worry about the fact that we very quickly go down to sort of specialising in just two or three subjects rather than keep a really broad church um, and uh, to allow you when you start to become. More of an adult, and you start to really realise the sort of your sort of superpowers or, or or your your real strengths, and then be able to match that with 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 you know some more learning. Um, uh, so I, it does feel if educationally is like we're we're channeled through an area very very quickly mm,
0: don't get me started i'll be on about this all day but no this is all about you so let's just first of all then move on to your first chapter so you did become an osteopath and mm-hmm. you eventually set up the fabulous because i know it well myself the family practice with your even more fabulous wife juliana <laughs> so um can you tell me how did this all come about
1: um so i met juliana um at osteopathy college uh, she was the year above above me and yeah I had uh, I really enjoyed uh, I, I I was again probably not a great student in the first year but as I started to um really get into into osteopathy and understand it I suddenly realized that it was it was something I can really excel at so I kind of gone went from a sort of C stroke D student to um getting A's like getting getting uh prizes and awards for for my work. So I just, it's so really, it it the the thing that it showed me is that when I really focus on something that I really love, I can excel at it. Um, And I don't think that I'd ever had experience of that before. Um, So that was great. And that sort of really set me up for, you know, for the future. And then, um, yeah, my wife, um, Juliana moved to Bristol the year ahead of me, she got a really good job in Bristol. Um, started to spend, you know, um, my weekends down in Bristol with with Juliana. And then um, and then when it came to uh, yeah, graduating and trying to find a job, um, I already had jobs lined up for me um, because of the network that she'd created. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I decided to move to Bristol. We did that for about six years and then we realised well, you know, we should be combining our practices and let's do something together. Um, And that's, yeah, that's what started.
0: That's amazing. Because so, I I didn't quite realise that. So neither of you were from Bristol. Where did you study?
1: Uh, We were both in um, British School of Osteopathy, which was in Trafalgar Square in London.
0: Wow okay so you really kind of came here so you okay so you're both working here and then you decided to set up your amazing family practice so what was what was the idea behind that apart from just because it's bigger isn't it obviously it's just two of you but you've involved so many other people as well.
1: Um, Yeah we just I I guess both of us are pretty good at networking and finding like-minded people Um, and we were you know we, we I guess I guess the really key thing f- that that maybe we're quite different to other other osteopathic practices or other medical practices is that we're not afraid to to say we don't know, um, but we we know somebody who can probably help you. Um, so we do do a lot of cross referring of of patients to somebody who we think uh, I can't help you, but I know somebody who can. So we ended up creating some really great networks of people that we would be very very happy to put our reputation on the line to refer people to the right to the right place rather than going oh i want to make money out of you and try to make you come back as much as possible actually being very very um patient-centric in our approach going what is best for them the whole time um that that adage of sort of look after your patients and your patients will look after your practice i think is it really rings through you know very very true that doesn't you know? What they really want is a very, very honest opinion, um, and um, and really get their health and well-being dead center on your approach. Um, and over time, you then end up with a really good network of customers, um, patients, as well as people that you refer to. And then, yeah, over time, it's like more and more of them said, I really love, I love your style of running the business. Can we come and work with you? Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes it much easier to be able to cross refer if it's somebody who's there also working your practice. So that's built up. And Juliana's an even better at building networks than I am. And and therefore, you know, since I've I've moved on from from osteopathic practice, um, she's just taking it from taking it from strength to strength.
0: Well, I know. Well, that might be a whole other podcast, but we'll ask you to (laughs) Juliana about that. Um, But so just staying still, first of all, in the first chapter. So you were building this up. I mean, it goes to this is kind of a theme of my own podcast here that exactly what you're saying if you find something that you love and you kind of and you've got your values and you're operating in that way it's amazing how things organically happen whereas if you're doing something and you're banging your head against brick wall and you're actually in the wrong organization or the wrong job it's just it's just not enjoyable it's not good does it but it's amazing when you get that and that's obviously what you did with that and with with you and juliana i mean that must have felt very incredible
1: yeah i know it's great something to be really proud of um you know, just when you try and step back and go, well, right, what are we actually achieving? It's like, is this, you know, particularly with the family practice, you know, are we just proud of what we're creating? Have we got good people around us? Uh, also, that creates a certain quality of patient who are probably quite aligned in the same value value set. And, and that also then starts to make uh, it enjoyable to work because you're treating people and helping them. But also there's a lot of conversation that goes on. Um, and, um, and it's much easier if you've got, yeah, people that you're spending all day, every day with that fundamentally either believe in similar kind of ethics and morals as, as each other. Um, and it, yeah, obviously it just makes it much, much more enjoyable as, as, you know, as a job.
0: And did you like being an osteopath?
1: I loved it when I, I loved, loved, loved helping people with a passion and I loved the problem solving side of it. Um, I really, really, really struggled with not being outdoors. It was just a real hang-up of mine, uh, and I tried to balance that by trying to spend every other, other time uh, outside of work being outdoors through surfing or playing hockey or running and doing those kind of things. Um, but fundamentally I just knew that I should be outdoors. I, that, that's just my happy space. Um, and I was trying to think like, how can I do osteopathy outdoors? And it was just, it's just impossible. Um, <laughs> so then I just had to start flipping it on the head and going, right, how can I impact people's health and well-being outdoors?
0: Okay. Right. So this is very, uh, very slickly actually taking us on um, where we're going to go. So, so there you were, you were in the pra- family practice with your w- wife, you had three boys by this stage. Now, yeah, two,
1: two at that stage, I think. Two but, at that yeah. stage. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so for most people, they would say look come on we're doing this because I know where you live in Bristol you live in a great part of Bristol you have a lovely life you're you're you know you've got something here that you've built and people sort of think yes I'd quite like to do something else but you actually it was further than than that wasn't it what can you what was I think I know but i didn't say but what was kind of for you the big turning point when you thought you know what I really do need to do something else
1: um yeah so so that 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 did that did come about through I guess a moment of um, I guess profound sadness um, I, I lost I was working with yeah we, as, you, as you say we, we we had it all planned out it was all it was all going well uh, and in fact my dad my sister my brother-in-law my sister-in-law they were all working in the family practice it was a real family practice Amazing. Um, which was great uh, and I was spending so uh, um, my mum and dad moved down this way and my dad started to work, which was always quite funny. Suddenly I was his boss uh, <laughs> and um, we we had much hilarity around that many times. Um, and then, yeah, then just out of the blue, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, um, which is one of the most aggressive cancers, you know, if you're lucky, you're lasting a few, a few years. Um, and yeah, that was, that was, that was just, um, uh, earth shattering in its, in itself. Um, and then, um, my dad, uh, had to go to hospital to have this, uh, prop- uh, an operation called a Whipple's procedure, which is pretty risky procedure, but by doing, basically it's cutting out, um, the cancer and, but sometimes you can extend somebody's life by a few years, so we realised it was worth doing, and obviously we, you know, we're, we're all optimists. So yeah, he he went um, with the expectation that it will go all right, um, and and it didn't. It it went horrendously wrong mm-hmm. the operation, uh, and uh, you know we got a call one evening um, just saying, well, we realised that something had gone wrong because he was still in the operating theatre. And said, "You need to get here really quickly. Uh, it's all gone wrong." And um, yeah, just had uh, a pretty tricky couple of hours saying goodbye to him. Really, oh, uh, and at that time, um, yeah, just just made made a promise to him that would do something. Uh, I guess at the time, a bit of a legacy for him, um, but wanted to really realised how how short life is he spent his whole life helping other people and never actually managing to really help himself never really get to retirement and to to enjoy the spoils of it and just thought I don't want to go down that route um I think I want to make the impact much bigger much broader um much earlier so that I can actually enjoy seeing people's health and well-being um uh come to life at, at a time where where I can also enjoy it and also be part of it um so i just made made a a promise to him that i was going to do something big bold probably very risky i didn't know what it was um and um and then started i guess i then started to go through a period of uh, adjustment in terms of grief um felt I, I thought i was getting getting very depressed i just but but it wasn't it was actually just going through a grieving process um and then came out the other side of that going right this is all going to change i <laughs> don't know what it's going to change but it's all going to change um and trying to keep those thoughts quite internal internalized because i didn't want to worry my wife and we now by then had three young children um massive mortgage to pay and like all those kind of things going now would not be a great time for me to um to have a, a huge wholesale life change but but i need to change something and and that's then when i started on that journey uh, of creating a completely different vision
0: mm. i just think i mean before we move on to that i personally just think um it's incredible because it's so easy i mean i it's not not about me but you know i went through a horrendous life-changing thing again with my dad who was the the the, you know my eye utter idol and and it's very i think it can be very easy especially with your family who spent so much time helping other people i can't imagine what that must have been like that you that you were just must have all felt so helpless and it can be very easy to sort of then spend the rest of your life being quite resentful and blaming this and, mm-hmm. and be torn up by it and it can get yeah. you in sort of other ways so I just think I just think it's incredible that and also but you still went through the process you didn't bury it and say right let's just move on um so it makes it even more special what we're what we're about to talk about so you knew you want to do something else but it was actually a youtube video I understand which was your real moment of clarity
1: Yeah, so I've been, um, uh, I I was starting to think about creating a space outside whereby we can bring people, um, uh, get people reconnected with the outdoor space, nature, and hopefully starting to create more health and happiness, good conversations, good food, some kind of destination that a lot of that can happen, so almost like a health and well-being hub but wasn't really sure what what would be the anchor, the, the sort of thing in the middle. I, I absolutely love um, water sports, uh, like mad keen fishermen, uh, been surfing for 43 years. Um, and suddenly one evening I was at home still pondering what this could be, what this could look like. And uh, yeah, there was a YouTube video of this new technology um, by a company called WaveGarden who for the very first time were producing the most perfect little surfing wave waves um, in the middle of the Basque country in the countryside. It's literally just this little dugout lake with perfect waves. Um, and that was, that was the, that was the Eureka moment really where I suddenly go, Oh my God, like if, if I built, build one of these in Bristol built around that sort of health and wellbeing destination, that is gonna fly that will be that will be i just know so many people that would come and use that uh it's very um it's perfect for bristol as well um so then yeah. and i showed it to my wife showed it to some friends everyone's like oh my goodness like that is like you can pull that all together that is perfect and yeah that's how it started
0: I mean I've got to say I mean that's pretty big isn't it compared to I mean that's that's like a major I mean we all dream of doing something but that was pretty huge um I think it's again brilliant and again I, I do I'm lucky enough I do know your lovely wife and she and I used to come in with my son to the family of practice at the time which is when I got to know her and I can remember her talking to me about this yeah, but she was always so supportive and I suppose that makes such a difference isn't it if you said that and they'd all said oh don't be so ridiculous but when you've got yeah. people around you who are as supportive as that it makes such a such a difference
1: yeah and there's you're absolutely right and yeah I, I mean yeah juliana's just been a complete rock of support all all the way along uh, there's been some majorly testing times um financially health-wise all all sorts of things along the way uh, but fundamentally it's been unerring the amount of support that i've had and and ironically i reckon also with dad dying, um, that was the release that I needed. My dad would have been—he's so risk-averse. I don't think he would have. He'd have probably—he'd have probably had a heart attack if he knew <laughs> that I was doing this. Ironically, um, and it was my mum. My mum's. My mum's brilliant. But my mum will always say, "I'm proud of you. You can do anything." all the rest of it is it, with, with not reckless abandon, but just going like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> and my dad would be going, yeah, but this is, you know, this is the implications. This is the risk. This is, um, but actually with him, with him passing away, actually that meant that I had nobody there saying I shouldn't do it. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess having a very, very clear vision, very clear understanding of the purpose, um, when If you just said, I want to build a multi-million pound surf park, people go, okay, will it work? Will it not? Actually, that was, that's not it. I want to build a health destination that will bring people together to be healthier, happier, more productive, and make sure it's an incredible future for people. And by the way, in the middle is a surf park, but that's by the by. Then you suddenly change hearts and minds, and people go. Why would you not? Why would you not want people to be healthier, happier? Bring people from um, differing, f- you know, f- um, factions of community together. It's like, what's not to love about that?
0: No, I totally agree. And forgive me because I might have these figures wrong. But did you? You at the beginning, so you had the vision that you you would have this destination, and mm. it would probably take you a couple of years, and maybe. Two or three million pounds, or not so that, that initial idea. When in yes. actual fact, it took ten years mm-hmm. and twenty-six million pounds,
1: e- e- even slightly higher than Ish. that. Yes, Ish. yes. <laughs> so, as I, as I say, maths wasn't my strong
0: point. <laughs> well, but you know, but you like being outside, so you are doing what this is. What this is what this podcast is all about: doing what you want to do. So, so how did so? though I mean, I am making you speak about it in very simple terms. Um, but so, I mean, you went through everything, didn't you? You went through it, finding, finding the place, you needed investors, you had, um, a little, you had resistance from the local community, you know, you, you went through it all. So, I mean, where do we even begin with that? You know, how, all the way through, how did you just keep going? How did you keep going through those 10 years?
1: Um, hmm, it's a good question. (laughs) So many, there's so many. Um well i guess the, rea- the reality of it is is starting off with a massive amount of naivety um you know i didn't I didn't know what the final destination would 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 be in terms of you know getting near enough thirty million pounds worth of 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 funding, how long it would take all those kind of things um is just i guess breaking it down a little into bite size like just just creating some steps of progress, um, which of course, you know, going back through it now, and we we want to do it again, um, we can shortcut like a massive amount of that process because so much of that was just me trying to understand how I can even go about it. But it's breaking it down into steps. It's a massive naivety in terms of actually not knowing the scale of the challenge ahead of me. Um, So it all felt very, possible, um, plausible, I've, I'm a massive optimist, um, too optimistic at times. So whenever I, you know, the number of times people laugh at me, even at work at the moment, when my answer to how long is it gonna take, it's about six weeks. Everything is about six weeks in my eyes. And I, I, don't, I, and I don't know why, but I've just, I, I, I think, I think very, very futuristically, I, I can, I've got like a 10 year, 100 year plan, And then I've got my six week plan is like, what am I going to, what am I going to tackle in the next six weeks? Uh, Ask me what I'm going to do in a year's time, three years time. Maybe I don't have so much of an idea or, or, you know, that's not the way I think. Um, And then, and then really the main thing was again, a bit, a bit like being an osteopath is that networking is talking to people and being inquisitive about things. And, um, and just as soon as I, I'm, I'm focused on something that I really love, then I really, really can focus and, and um, do lots and lots of investigating. You know, I was at that time, I was still treating patients. Uh, I'd be waking up at about four in the morning so I could do a whole load of work before I start to see patients at eight. I'd be spending my lunch hour making phone calls or meeting up and having coffee with somebody who might help us. Then I'd get the kids to bed and then start working until probably around midnight and did that for a, probably a year or so so that I could balance still having to bring some income in, um, for the family, um, and, uh, uh but still get this amazing venture, um, going, um, and then, yeah, really, I think the most important thing is just that, that tenaciousness, I guess, um, that all of my team have around me. It's like creating a good team with like-minded people um, and, I guess, being really, being really um, truthful to myself and where my limitations are. Um, so I, I can hold a very clear line in terms of the vision, a very, very clear vision. Uh, and being able to demonstrate that to other people and being able to communicate that to other people who then come and join me, who have got the requisite skills to be able to help me deliver the financial plan, the um, uh, architecture, the engineering, um, the business modelling, the marketing, the PR, all those kind of things. But fundamentally, me having really strong of, of a vision and being unerring in that um is what's
0: got us through i think mm, i yeah no I, I can understand i mean they like some people would say you know I mean, it's very easy now. We're going we're to come on to this. You have got your fabulous lake and it worked and it happened. And it's very easy now to say, oh, yeah, you know, it worked. But on those days and in the when you were getting up at four in the morning and it was pitch black and you were exhausted and you had and you were doing this. And there's probably a little voice in your head saying, "Like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting Juliana and why are we all getting this stress? You know, why don't I just have a simple life, you know, and, and just enjoy because you've already got an amazing business. There must be something that it's just because it's something that you feel so passionate about. The, the opposite is, OK, well, I just give up. That would have been probably more traumatic for you to think like that than to think, come on, we can find another way.
1: Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I would. I just once once I knew what uh, once I had such a very, very clear in my mind vision of what the future could be. Why, why would I why would I settle for anything less is is my mindset that I was in it you know it without a doubt is a very it was a very very selfish thing uh, that that I set about to do in terms of putting putting a lot of other people under stress but um, the benefit of it in terms of um, me being the best, the best person that I could be for Juliana and the kids, whilst it put under a load of stress, I think the net result of me being such a better person in the end for it, rather than having to just make do with what I've got. Um, and also, um, the net benefit of all those people having that impact on on all these people having much healthier, positive lives, it, it, it's, it's too, too big a itch not to scratch, mm-hmm. um, and so just had to do it. Uh, uh, and, and I guess, uh, you know, having a wife who also understands that health benefit and why it's important and how, how you can really change people's lives, not just themselves, but also the people around them. So there's a real kind of um, butterfly effect from that. Um you know that's something that you we know, we're completely like minded um on we we just want to help people um I guess that's what that's probably our most the most common thing between us is we just like helping other people mm-hmm. um and so that's quite easy to then be able to to um vocalize to to my wife and you know and i know i know there's definitely been times she would would probably not have said at the time. Where she's really doubted me and whether I could actually do it, particularly with the length of time and the size of the the the, the task. Um, but wow, yeah. W- w- equally, why not? It's like it's too it's too too good to 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 put it down really. Mm. Uh, and I would. And there, there's only been there's probably only one once or twice that I ever thought maybe it's not going to happen. Um, But there's always a way way around it um uh yeah
0: do you think you choose to be an optimist or do you think you're born an optimist
1: definitely born it yeah i can't i can't stop it's it's totally ingrained in me um (laughs) it's it's hysterical uh we 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 laugh about i was laughing in the office yesterday about uh about i think we were looking at the weather forecast somebody said you know this this really really big kind of celebrities some group of celebrities wanting to come come surfing with us in in a few weeks time and um and you know all of the team around was like oh yeah it's definitely it's it's definitely you know the weather forecast says it's going to be it's going to be rainy and cloudy and and uh and as soon as I went straight away I was like yeah but but it's only it's only rainy and cloudy for one hour in that day it's like 24 hours of that day it's going to be great so don't tell them that it's going to be rainy most of it's going to be you know sunny and or or just yeah no rain and so always 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 whenever anybody's like it's just a a small moment in time but that that is that's that's totally me is like I, i i always look at a challenge as an opportunity and as a bit cliche but i always do Everybody comes to me with challenges every single day. I was like, yeah, but the opportunity is this. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and, and my business partner, um, uh, Craig, is amazing, but we're such a good counterfoil because actually he's a real realist um, and I'm a massive optimist. And somewhere in the middle, we are able to move the team through challenges along the way. Uh, he'll point out where's the risk you know with um because he's got such good business acumen but he's you know that also has created at times some skepticism as well um but realism as well and then me is just uh unashamedly optimistic but at times that needs to be tempered it's like yeah that's great but actually how are we going to deliver this we need to be a little bit more practical than that Um, and so that works it works really well from that
0: I do have to ask this it, for the celebrities: Is that like in your magic six-week window? <laughs> is it in your time frame? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you, goes. It,
1: yeah, there you it,
0: go. That's, it sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. So when when so it did open October the twenty-fifth, two thousand and nineteen. Yep. There it was. Your yep. lake. Yeah. You know that vision that from the YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> to and there it was and you I mean oh my goodness I can't even begin to imagine you've got this this site this venue which is huge not just for the southwest but people are traveling all over the country you know yeah. and that they know about it this is the, I mean it's enormous I can't underestimate the, the scale of it that that day and I've seen footage of it you know like your first when you did your first surf mm-hmm. and we haven't even spoken to you about how much you love love your surfing but you know <laughs> What I mean, I can. Can you explain? Can you try and explain what that was like?
1: Um, I haven't even thought about it properly, but now you're asking me. I was a complete rabbit in headlights. I just absolutely did not know. Um, I almost couldn't put it into words, um, but I was a combination of. At, at that stage, none of the pride had come through. Uh, you know, I was, I, it was proper, I think it was proper overwhelming. Rabbit in headlights. What What have we created? How's this going to happen? I was very, very deep into the very, um, the logistical side of it and the operational side of it. And, you know, it was all around at that stage, all the operation delivery of, how on earth we're literally going to have thousands and thousands of people in you know on our doorstep uh, and i guess and i guess it was as a real fear of what like what if they don't like it it, it was like suddenly uh, inviting a thousand people into your home every day um because it was a real reflection of of me i think in terms of you know the look and the design of the place and Obviously, loads of people, you know, have been you know inputting into that, but it really did feel like my personality was being laid laid bare, and was then going to be judged, and I found that really tricky. i <laughs> really, it was a really hard one to, neg- to negotiate um, in my mind, um, and I was just really, really scared about what what if it goes wrong, what if it doesn't work, what if you know all of those doubts and what ifs. Actually, up until then it was it's going to be okay it's fine we're like really optimistic and then when when we opened the doors, all of those doubting myself started to come through uh, I was it was very overwhelming as an experience um, uh, it's not something it's not a period it weirdly it's a, a, not a period in my life that I particularly enjoyed it's probably the most challenging time in this whole journey was actually when we opened the doors where I was thinking it would be the most magical moment. Actually, it was probably the most stressful, um, uh, time in my life. And also, I guess I'd always been, I always loved talking about what, what success looks like. And when we opened, um, it was still so unfinished. It was still so raw um because we had to we kind of had to rush to open so that we didn't miss miss winter and i was like oh this isn't this isn't this isn't how it was meant to be it was it was so unfinished still um and and that really stressed me out it was like it felt like inviting my mother in law is really nice by the way but it was like (laughs) inviting your mother-in-law around um uh to stay for a week And you've only just you you haven't even unpacked the boxes when you've just moved into a house, (laughs) just like and so so really thinking that you'll be judged by your lack of having been ready and those kind of things. Um, And I I, I, yeah, I was so stressed at that time. I was really really stressed, and also didn't know my position in the world. So we've suddenly gone to an operator. Like I've always been the holder of the vision. The vision's now there. It's like what's my role uh how you know, how am i going to how am i going to you know you know what what are my roles and responsibilities from now on uh do i you know yeah i was just very 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 mixed up in for probably about three or four months i really struggled with that i
0: can i can i on a much 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 smaller degree and I'm not comparing myself to you in the slightest but I can the only way I can relate to that and I think it's like the fear and this is for anyone who's listened to this who's thinking of doing anything and they kind of keep stopping themselves from doing it but it's like when I publish my book after you know at least 70 rejections or more so I'd already been told I'm not very good and then sort of we published it ourselves but all the time you're striving I want to get my books out there I want to do that but then actually when and my husband and I and you know my husband Rob and we we learned how to publish the book and we got it completely wrong and we published the wrong version and all that and then I was a a tag to an Ellie Barker who wrote Erotica, and so people thought I wrote erotica. I won't even go into it. But the point is, when you actually somebody's going to read your book, that's it, then it's kind of over, isn't it? It's because it's like, do they like it or don't? Or you've just you it is you have completely late, like, oh, stepped out there, haven't you? You're so raw and vulnerable. So for me, you have this place with thousands of people coming in every day, so I can. I mean, I can really understand how you feel how did you get through that because obviously we're going to move on to what happens after that, but those three to four months how did you how did you kind of find sort of the balance in all of that?
1: I don't think I did. I think I really struggled I think I really, really struggled at that time um, I think you know there were there were loads of loads of things also you know from dim and distant past that also sort of at that time. Suddenly, sort of raised their ugly head. Uh, It was it was a really tricky time, Um, uh, and I and I think I really struggled. I really struggled, Um, and I think I think everybody, you know, all of my colleagues, my wife, my close friends, they they knew that I was not in a great place because I just felt weirdly lost um, in myself, even though. In, in theory, like I've achieved everything, everything that I ever wanted, I've achieved. But I was just, it, it was, it was, I was just very, very exposed at that time. Not, not really knowing where I fit in, in so many, so many different areas. Um, so it was, it was, it was really pretty stressful. Mm. Um, and I don't, and and honestly, I don't think I negotiated that particularly well at all. I think I was... Starting to get pretty crabby, wasn't you know particularly great for to be around. um, Was starting to kind of get really focused and transfixed on small details, um, uh, which which is never about me. I'm normally just much more, much better, like staying high level in strategic thinking and um, uh, and and. Being able to be be that optimist, um, but at that time I became really transfixed on on details that I can I couldn't fix, um, and became really quite insular at that time, um, and yeah, and so struggled, yeah, definitely struggled.
0: Because then, and well, speaking of struggle, then it then it then it then you had lockdown, which you know obviously nobody could ever have predicted. So you just opened, and it was only yeah. what, about six months later. Yeah. Then you had to close again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which was yeah. I mean, just, I mean, in in terms of timeline, uh, yeah. In I think I think we went into lockdown around about May, end of May. uh, Sorry, end of March last year, two thousand and twenty. And yeah, obviously, I've spoken to you about it. I also had yeah a a massive stroke the uh, the month before. Um, which was um, maybe maybe something that could have been COVID-related. We don't really know. Um, definitely, I, I you know I look at it and, and also see the pressure and that stress maybe had had pushed me over the over the edge. I mm-hmm. think uh, well, nobody really knows why I had had um, a massive stroke. Um, well, it's a success. I had a massive stroke and then. Um, it wasn't dealt with brilliantly. And then I ended up having a series of eight strokes. Um, and yeah, I, I personally, I think that that's also a bit of a bit of that, that stress buildup over those few months preceding. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And and maybe even the years before, because you were you were playing cricket, weren't you? You were playing cricket. No, I was
1: playing hockey. Sorry, yeah, I was hockey. playing hockey. You were yeah.
0: outside. Yeah. And yeah. Were taking um,
1: Yeah. And just, yeah, just suddenly suddenly couldn't hold my hockey stick brilliantly couldn't follow the the ball brilliantly felt really weird that can't even say how i felt it just felt really weird like it's almost like an out-of-body experience I thought I, I i'm something something weird's going i just went and sat down on the bench and then everybody started to come and go you know we only started the the, the hockey match just a couple of couple of minutes before um, and everybody started asking me questions and I couldn't, I, I literally couldn't speak. Um, I was like, I, I know what I want to say. There's no words coming out. Why, why, why is my mouth not working? It's like, this is, this is really weird. Um, and then, and, and you know, after about five or 10 minutes, uh, then, you know, one of my, one of my ho- hockey teammates, um, who's a little bit older, it's like, oh my god! I think I think he's had a stroke, um, and then you know, catalogue of yeah, of um, yeah, having to get to the hospital and all, all sorts of weird things going on, and yeah, uh, then later um, was confirmed that I'd had a yeah a massive stroke with a series of bleeds of, um, around that. So yeah yeah life changed all over again
0: well I I was gonna say because I mean talking of sort of different chapters but was that another one of those moments presumably for you for Juliana for everyone around you you know after all this amazing work that you've done but then that happens and it goes back isn't it that you've always looked after people that must have been so hard then you're the one that's not well and it's kind of like something's being someone's telling you something here this is your body's telling you something you know how was that with with you all you know did it all just kind of make you sort of regroup and think right you know what is this kind of all about
1: yeah 100% I mean it was just it was just um yeah definitely the most frightening thing that's ever happened in my entire life um you know just you know I mean previously seeing my dad die was going oh you know Life's too short, you know, classic cliche is like, life's too short, must get on and do something right now. I don't want to be in that position. And then I was suddenly in that position going, holy crap, I might not live another day. Like, that is, like, that was the bottom line. And, And the more and more the medics were seeing me going, I don't know why this has happened, the more and more I was getting more and more panic going, if you don't know, if you can't tell me how this has happened, how what's my protection of this not happening the next day mm. uh am I going to wake up tomorrow morning I just don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning I don't know how this has happened um and so and so then you know again was pretty pretty dark around that because I was first of all I couldn't even speak so I couldn't even talk to anybody about what I was feeling um and then, almost starting to feel quite at peace with that. Then, as soon as I start to get to grips with having peace around the fact that I might not see another day, and I don't, I don't really don't want it to sound morose. But there are many days where I'm going, I literally have got to live for the day um, because I just don't know. I, I'm not sure whether you know whether this could happen again and then obviously you then go well on balance of probability I've been here now for a year and so obviously you get sort of moments where you go actually I've been here for a year so on balance of probability I'm probably going to survive tomorrow and then you know you start to sort of um, calm those nerves there Um, but then there's just a constant concern you know for myself of Right, I must live for the day. I need to be really happy because I want I want everybody to be happy. But also the flip side of that, slightly not not a depression, but a feeling like a, a, a feeling of being really, really worried. Also, for the fact that it could be my last day. <laughs> um, so it, it's it's really it's it's a really weird balance that every single day feels like that um, and actually one of those things that you know, I have to take some medication some blood thinners every single day and, and, and actually that, that does it obviously keep, keep, potentially keeps me alive but every single time I take those tablets morning and night I go the you know uh, it reminds me of why I have to take them and it reminds me that there is the possibility that if I don't take them uh, it could go it could go horribly wrong. So it's just this sort of weird time over the last year about, obviously I've got, as you can hear, I've got my voice back and I can speak again. But but every single day I have this sort of real dilemma of being super positive, keeping everybody really well, trying to bring the best that I can to the day, but actually in the background is constant fear of it being my last day Mm -hmm. and that's that's quite hard to navigate Mm -hmm. um um yeah that's my current struggle at the moment i guess Mm.
0: i must i mean i can see you and i think you look so well and if i hadn't have known you know i would never have believed if you know (laughs) never believed it at all but do you think i mean oddly because lockdown was so horrendous for so many reasons but I suppose the fact that then the wave had to close and you could just spend some time with with Juliana and with the boys and just be kind of regrouped from what you were saying beforehand that, you know, after open, there was obviously something going on there where you were feeling sort of so unsettled. And so it wasn't quite right. Do you think that gave you a little bit of time just to sort of bring it all together and just to start thinking, right, this is what I want this to really be about. And this is how I need to live now.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. So what. From a work point of view and from the wave point of view it was a great time of re readjusting my whole life really um, I mean um, obviously I couldn't work I'd been sort of signed off for uh, I think it was about six to nine months in total um, you know insurance policy had paid out you know my life life insurance or whatever it is meant that you know I probably had a couple of years worth of finances if if I didn't work again. So that was that was so I didn't have those kind of worries. And it meant that I could then sit back and go, right, I could completely right now just go it's the start of a new chapter. Um and go, you know, um uh yeah, I, I I need to start a new chapter in my life, one that's much more you know, chilled out, maybe something that is still to do with the wave, but maybe it isn't to do with the wave. You know, you know, just a chance to reassess. Um, but actually, uh, I had to, a whole load of stuff I needed to sort out in myself in terms of, I guess, the issues that had been building up to the stressful events of and, and a stroke um, and try to get my head around that. Why was I not feeling proud of what we've built um, was a really big part of that. And I realised is that it wasn't about physical building of a destination it was about the impact that we weren't yet able to achieve so the social impact getting getting people of all communities coming and using the space making sure it isn't just a middle-class playground for white and privileged people uh, that that was that was the really really important driver for this Um, so So I started to get much more clarity of thought around this is not just... We are not just providing a facility for people to surf. Not at all. It happens that we do that and we do it really, really well. But actually, the real impact comes on making sure that those people are, like we've always stated, people of all ages, all, all backgrounds, all abilities... That's, that's the sweet spot. That's, that that then became my driving force to then go, we built it, it's brilliant, now let's pack this full of people who can really enjoy it from all backgrounds. Um, and that's the point at which I went, I've got to get back to work, I've got to get back to work. Not because I ha- didn't have any faith that other people were going to do that, but I think that could very quickly... Um, it could be diluted that, that vision and maybe come under different financial pressures or commercial pressures and maybe maybe that starts to become dil- diluted and I just couldn't, I couldn't bear the thought of that so I needed to come back to work to make sure that that vision was very, very clearly defined be, be constantly reminding the whole team that that's, that is the sweet spot when we, when we achieve that and make sure that we're on track to to achieve that um and also to then replicate it you know that you know we we can create an amazing impact in societal terms at the wave but it's something that every city has these kind of problems you know how how can we scale that up and we've got a team and investors that are wanting to do that as well so making sure that I'm very clear on that visionary angle. Um in fact I came back with a new title um that everybody devised I'm Chief Visionary Officer. So it makes sure that it's I'm very very much keeping horizon scanning, keeping it high level rather than getting bogged down into minutiae and detail where I very much realize that that's 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 not where I should be operating. Um and and continue to inspire other people to not just be involved in the wave, but also in in other areas. Um, I've been speaking to lots of people who have also got really good ideas, and I'd just be there to help and support them from from you can do it, you know, anything is possible. I've proved that anything is possible. So um, just give them a little bit of mentorship and guiding light to, to go, you know, there's some big obstacles out there in life, but you can overcome them as long as you're very clear on, on that why, that purpose, making sure that you're doing it for the right reason, um, because then that allows you to just overcome any barriers.
0: Because that is so true isn't it um, and thank you so much for speaking so honestly about everything, but it is so true this this idea of purpose, and i'm only really starting i'm forty seven I'm only really starting to understand it that it's all very well. you might want the treats of the car and the this and the that and the the image or whatever it is, but if you're doing what's your kind of purpose, whatever even if it's you know whatever that may be, be it a great gardener or whatever if you're living in that way. That and obviously it sounded like once the wave opened, you kind of lost your way. And and oddly, again, I'm no medic, and I'm I'm you know not even an amateur psychologist, but the fact now that you've been through what you've been through, you said you wanted to help people and, you know, and that's what you'd love to do and, and what you've created. The fact that you've been through what you've been through, it makes you know how life, how precious life is, how you're living. This mm-hmm. just gives it a whole another element, not one you necessarily wanted to bring, but I mean, how special and incredible that you've got this now as part of it.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel, I feel incredibly, privileged to be in this position to have you know for one i guess built a place that also was a big part of my re- rehabilitation you I know mean, i spent most of the time i mean ironically the the, the week before um uh, i had my stroke we launched the blue health report this this amazing piece of research bringing together like how important being outdoors by water the sound of water the smell of water the um, the light of water, how important it is for people's health and well being, uh, and then and then I had a stroke, and then I got to I got to use it as my own medicine chest. Uh, spending nearly sort of nearly six months cleaning the lake, keeping you know watering the flowers, all all the, those things during lockdown, that then go I've actually created my own medicine chest to be able to sort of climb back out of this weird head funk that I'm in and so now being uh, and knowing how valuable that was for me now going right I need to make sure that as many people know how important this is as possible Um, and not you know obviously be great if they come to the wave and be able to experience it but if not find that those environments to be um, to find out what, what, what works for them and bring about their health and well-being And the irony of, of course, I went through that phase, um, but then through lockdown and through progressive lockdowns, suddenly it's on everybody's lips. Everybody really realising how important it is to be able to socialise, to be able to um, speak to people who, who are your nearest and dearest, how important it is to get out into a natural world, how important, how much people have missed being by water, being by the waves, being in nature. So then suddenly we're like knocking. It, it, it's so easy to market what we've built because actually we've all gone through it recently together. Um, so I think that this year is going to be an amazing year for, for nature, for getting outside, for people realising what they really have missed uh, and hopefully starting to shed things, um, material possessions, cars, um, you know, what we wear, all the rest of it, and trade that in for experience, having experiences with each other, having having experiences that actually fulfill themselves rather than thinking that you can buy, just buy something and it'll make you better. Um, I, I think that, they're, they're, personally, I think that there'll be a, a real shift um, from a commercial point of view and, and hopefully from society into looking for experiences. People, you know, even young young kids, they're really missing being able to go to a concert, being able to go to festivals, things like that, real experiences. I'd much rather my kids now want to go to, depends what festival, but <laughs> things like festivals and, and stuff like that, rather than wanting another PS4 or Xbox or whatever it might be, or a new mobile phone. It's all about experiences. Um, and I think that we're, we're entering, hopefully, a, a phase where people understand that and, and uh, realise how important that is, that connection to nature, each other, um, how important that is.
0: Mm, I couldn't agree with you more. So I could talk to you about this all day, but you are you, you <laughs> have the wave to look after. So I will move on to the next section. That's um, all right. To be continued. Now, dare <laughs> I ask, what what would you like to do next in your next next chapter
1: so next next chapter like like i said is much more around we've got this amazing place how do we really make it sing um uh, uh, and so that's that's a big part of the immediate six weeks
0: you've got to work that magic
1: um, yeah um so yeah you know get getting ready, getting ready for the summer and, and making sure that like I was just talking about that, that really, that really, uh, happens as seamlessly as possible. Um, and as I say, we've got, we've got real opportunity really with, with what we've created at the wave. It, it, it absolutely can be a blueprint to be rolled out in other places. Um, so, you know, we, we started to put our strategy together in terms of we wanting to do five of these projects or, or, or um, start five of these projects in the next five years. So we've got a couple of sites. We've got an amazing site in London that we're we're um, uh, starting, uh, just about to start the planning application towards. Um, we've got uh, been uh, you know a few sites have been identified that we want to progress as well, uh, both in the UK and abroad. Um, and it's a real. We know that people are going to you know these, these surf parks, so to speak, or wave pools. Are going to be opening up we we, we anticipate there'll be probably a hundred of these across the world in the next 10 years yeah. so what we want to do is go like really cherry pick the really great places to do it not just places that commercially are really um great um but also places where we can deliver that social impact piece as well so when we look at sites maybe capital cities big cities Actually, can we put them in places where we're really in the heart of a community that also needs some kind of regeneration um, socially, economically, um, uh, and, and really try to have an impact from that side of things? Um, so that's really exciting. Um, I guess some of the other things that I, that I also involved in um, sort of setting up more of a charity side of it. And so that a lot of my focus is around the social impact piece looking by hopefully next year setting up a foundation whereby we can really um, uh, sort of um, scale up that social impact piece so how can we get kids maybe who can't afford 30 quid to come surfing with us how can we set up a foundation that they can come in for five quid or something like that so that you know we're, we're, we're looking at the sort of logistics around that so that we can make sure we're breaking down barriers and making sure that there there's no reason for people to not enjoy the spaces that we create mm-hmm. um and then you know on the horizon so the olympics is uh surfing is in the olympics this year which is really exciting so i'm very um very uh, i'm also chairman of surfing england um and work uh, a lot with british surfing and we're looking also to try and see if we can get paralympic inclusion uh, so I, I work a lot with um, with the adaptive surfers. Um, uh, have been for about five or six years. And um, you know, what would be great over the next couple of years is see if we can really push to get um, uh, surfing in the Paralympics as well. Uh, that would be that would be uh, an amazing day. Um, and and yeah, I really want to strive towards that over the over the coming few years.
0: Well I think I'll have to get you back on for another if you don't mind uh i will i talk to Juliana for another six weeks or whatever this may be but, so just um so just very brief so acknowledgements. who would you like to thank
1: Crikey, uh, just um so so many I mean yeah fundamentally obviously my wife and my kids um yeah just yeah just being complete rocks uh I learn I learn so much from. Particularly from my kids every single day, um, uh, both in terms of their own personalities and and how amazing they are, but also holding a mirror up to me about sometimes when I'm not the best person, and uh, they often get reflected by your kids, don't they? So um, <laughs> like, so oh my, it's like, oh, why are you being so horrible? It's like, oh, that's because I have been today uh, this, um, yeah this is yeah. a conversation
0: we have often don't worry yeah, exactly. about this but so, yeah. yeah so
1: so you know my my kids my kids and my wife and my extended family have been amazing and my and my team you know um craig and all of my team who've always you know really helped me along the way um in some incredible um um friends who've been you know, particularly when I had the stroke, just dropped everything, like literally dropped everything and just came and ran to be by my side. Um, and it's at times like that, you really, you really realise uh, who are your nearest and dearest. Um, um, and yeah, all, all the people have just helped, helped this be quite an incredible life that I've already had so far, and have kind of stuck stuck by me, even though I'm kind of awkward at times Um, yeah it's been great.
0: But you're optimistic you've got to remember that, awkward but optimistic. Yeah of course. And just very very finely then, so your advice to others, now what you've done is I mean ginormous, doesn't even cover it, but if somebody's listening to this and they're just thinking look come on, I'm not, what I'm doing here is not right, I just don't fit in this and I just want to try something, I want to do this even if you don't know what it is but you just want or you think you might know what it is but it's being brave enough to be honest not just think about it in the shower, I mean you could have just had this amazing vision and never told anyone about it. What would your that person who's really like, I know I've got to do something, I want more, and I just I, I don't know what to do next. What would be your advice to them?
1: I guess it, it goes back to that conversation about what why? Why why are you wanting to do you know, what's what's the thing that motivates you? You know, what's your what's your purpose in life and work? And actually can you combine combine your life your the things that you that absolutely brings out the best in you can you combine that with you know with some some kind of idea or vision that means you know again not wanting to to make it cliche but but so that every single day it doesn 't feel like you're going to work I never wake up in the morning anymore and go i 'm going to work I 'm going to the wave and I 'm working with a team but they're almost almost like a kind of extended family. Um, but I don't ever go to work regretting it, thinking, oh, I, I never get to a Sunday night and go, got work tomorrow morning. Um, so I think if, if you can build a life whereby that happens, I, I just think that that's the sweet spot, really. And if at that time, therefore, you've also got really clear purpose on why you're wanting to achieve that, um, then that will that will just get you through any kind of obstacles to get there without a doubt but i think it's combining knowing what your passions are or trying to find out what you're passionate about and trying to verbalize that in a way that it also come brings together your your common values your 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 purpose then then i think that then makes anything possible because you'll find a way of breaking down any obstacles on the way because it's so important to you uh, that that it'll happen um, and just having having faith that that, that can happen um, from somebody who um, who's shown that it can be done honestly and I don't have any prerequisite skills to do anything I've got no god-given right to do anything that we've created. But, um, but fundamentally, I've just got a very, very clear purpose behind what I'm wanting to do. And then you can attract amazing people to help you.
0: Nick Hounsfield, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the next chapter.
1: Pleasure. Thank you.
0: So there you are. What did you think of that? I told you it was quite the conversation, didn't I? Well. I took it's all about combining your passion with your purpose get this right and nothing will hold you back Nick did this and is taking him to a place he could never have imagined no dreadful Sunday nights no back to work feelings I mean what a way to live so if you're thinking about something go on say it out loud just like Nick did we're listening and I'm sure there's someone close to you who is too now you can find out more about Nick at thewave.com You can keep up with me at elliebarkerwrites.com. And of course, as everyone says, if you could rate and review this podcast, well, it really would help others discover it and maybe start their next chapter too. In the meantime, keep thinking, keep talking. One little step, go on, you can do it. Speak soon.